God gave his people the Holy Spirit so that we can encounter his presence every single day. And spending time with him is a vital part to a vibrant and active faith. But it can be difficult to know where to start or how to keep a regular rhythm amidst our busy lives. The Tree Church Daily is a devotional designed to help you encounter God's presence and truths through scripture, prayer, and personal reflection so that you don't just grow in your understanding of God, but learn how to hear from Him and apply what He says to your life. And if you sign up for the Tree Church Daily email list, you can even have it delivered to your inbox every single day, which is the perfect reminder to help you establish a rhythm for your time with God. You can sign up today on the Tree Church website or on the Tree Church app today. Welcome to the TCBS Podcast. My name is Chris Reed, and I am the Director of Biblical Education, and each week here on the podcast, we walk through one chapter of the Bible at a time. Now, before we get into today's study, you may realize that something seems a little different about the podcast, and you're right. We are changing a little bit of the order and kind of giving it a, a new and fresh look, but more so, we have decided to sit down with the entire Tree Church teaching team, or at least members of the Tree Church teaching team and tackle the the week's chapter together. So what you're going to hear today is a conversation between myself and Pastor Matthew and Pastor Michael. And so we sat down and we we cover the entire chapter today and talk about the implications from Deuteronomy chapter 11. So while the TCBS podcast is getting a facelift, what you can expect is to still get the same great verse by verse style teaching. So you'll hear us read from the scripture today, you'll hear us explain it, and you'll hear us talk about it and talk about how it applies to our lives. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that we are going to be only releasing one episode this week. We will go through the entire chapter today. So we sat down and we recorded and we covered uh, all of chapter 11. And, and this is for a couple reasons. This is because, first of all, we're creating space for a few new and upcoming podcasts that will be coming in the near future. So make sure that you're watching uh, for those to go live sometime here over the next few months. But also, what we thought it would do was allow us to, to better have a conversation about uh, the entire context of, of the chapter. So that is some of the new things that you're going to be experiencing. And so today we're going to go through Deuteronomy chapter 11. And, and, and it's good for us to remember and keep in mind that, that Moses here is explaining and reiterating the covenant law to the people who are about to go into the promised land. And he's doing so not just for their sake. He's doing so so that they and all the future generations will remember the covenant that God had given to them, that God had made with them. And he wants them to remain faithful and to remain true to this covenant all of the days that they live and they prosper in the land. So let's jump into today's conversation. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to Tree Church Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Reed, and I'm the Director of Biblical Education here. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Matthew Johnson, uh, lead pastor here at the Tree. Hey, guys, honored to be here. And Pastor Michael Giacomoni, who is the creative pastor here at the Tree Church. How are you yeah. doing today, Michael? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having us, Chris. Cool. 
All right, so uh, today we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we're going to be processing through the whole chapter today. So this is something new for you uh, listening. If you're, it's your first time listening, you'll have no other context, but if you've been following us for quite some time, uh, we're not going to do just a section of Scripture today. We're going to process through the, the whole chapter. So let's just jump in, and we'll get going. So Deuteronomy 11, verse 1, love the Lord your God and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws, and His commands always. Now, I want to stop here before we get going too far, because this is something that Moses has reiterated time and time and time again. I mean, we're 11 chapters in, and I think I've seen this this commandment, this, this kind of call to love the Lord your God and keep His requirements at least five or six times, if not more. So um, let, what is the importance, or why do you think it's so important that Moses lay this before Israel on a repeated basis? I, I think there's a couple of points that we have to focus on. One, and this is something I just shared with our church recently in a series that, that we were doing, but there is no love of God if you don't obey God. Mm. You know, one of the things that we realize in love in our own lives is in order to truly love someone, you have to love them in the way they receive love. So, you know, we all have, there's a famous book about the, the five love languages. We all have different love languages. We have different ways we express it, different ways we receive it. And so when you are really purposed about loving someone well, you figure out how they receive love. Well, in our relationship with God, there is no love of God without obeying God. Because if you don't, if you don't obey God, what you're declaring is, I don't trust God. And what scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So right, it is right. dishonoring to God. Um, in that. So we have to remind ourselves that true love of God is obeying God. And the reason why I say that is I think we have reduced love down to a feeling. Mm. And so we, we feel positive toward God. You know, we admire God, we appreciate God. And so we go, oh, that's, that's loving God. It's not. It, it, we might feel emotional about God, but what true love is, is obedience. The second thing that I think why he has to constantly um, remind them of it is because our hearts wander. We wander away from what is good. We wander away from what is true. And so we have to be reminded of it. And that is his repetitive nature. He would not have to be repetitive if the people naturally stayed toward obedience. So even in this chapter that we'll see today, he gives them a challenge that as they go into the promised land to continue to do behaviors that will remind them of their call to obey God and to love God. Yeah, have have you ever thought about the concept of, like, let, let's just take eating healthy, for instance. Why is there something that we know is good for us, and we constantly mess it up, and we constantly choose not to do it? Like, isn't that such a, a weird idea? And so I think, like, Moses's process here is that that continual idea of, you need to remember this, you need to remember that's important, you need to you need to always keep in front of you what is good and what is right and what is true and what will what we're going to learn about today what will bring you life mm -hmm. um yeah i mean that's really the number one thing i wrote down in my notes right after that first that first verse is like man this matters because they historically have not done this like you're talking about <laughs> yeah why is he repetitive all of deuteronomy is moses being really repetitive and really frustrated and laying the same truth over and over again of like hey I watched your parents make this mistake. I watched your ancestors make this mistake. And now I have to be the person to take on that punishment by not entering into the promised land. Don't do the same thing. That yeah. to me becomes so important because yeah, they keep doing it. Deuteronomy is written in an odd way because 
it has happened after the 40 years in the wilderness, right. but he is going back and reminding them. So he has the clarity of, you know what they say, uh, looking back, you have 2020 vision. Hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. And so he's looking back and he's basically saying, here, I'm going to explain the things I explained to you over the 40 years, but now I'm really going to focus on the fact you were awful at this. Right. He's know, not like, happy about it either. No, he's not happy about it because, yeah, he's like, and I'm going to not go into the promised land, but you fools, as you, as you go into the land, here's what I want you to do is yeah. to fix it. And, and Moses, what I love about him is he has such a pastoral heart, but man, the brother had, he had a, a rough calling, you know, like the, yeah. the worst people in the world. And, uh, but yeah, so he's just constantly trying to remind them. So he loves them. That's why he wants to remind them, but you can right. tell he's a little frustrated. Well, there are even moments them. in Deuteronomy where he's just like, it's not my fault. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, it's not my fault that I don't get to go in. It's your yeah. God's fault and it's your parents' fault. So don't make the same mistake. And you even mentioned like, what is it about the nature of humans that we just constantly do the wrong thing? Why do we eat bad? Why do we stay up too late? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And the harsh reality is that that's because that's the desire of our heart. That's a really complicated thing to wrestle with. Because we'd like to think highly of ourselves. Well, my, the desire of my heart is for my wife or for like God. Yeah. But the reality of the situation, James would say, I don't, somewhere in James chapter two or four, somewhere in that that area, the desires of your heart lead you into temptation, which lead you into sin, right? And then Paul mm -hmm. would say, like, you know what the wages mm -hmm. of those sin are? It's death. Like that's the reality of where our desires lead us. So this is this is Moses really saying, I know what your what <laughs> the desires of your guys' heart are. Yeah. You have to get this straight, or else. And then he goes throughout all the consequences that would happen after that. Yeah, we, we as people don't, we are in a culture, especially I would say an American culture, because of not just the consumer culture, though that's a big part of it, but because we have just about anything that we can desire is readily available to us. We have a hard time with delayed gratification. Absolutely. So like yeah. even the eating healthy thing is we, anyone that has done it, I've done it in seasons of life. When I get to the results from eating healthy, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel so satisfied in that. Um, but the process between now and, and that is tough because in between, I can eat some really good food <laughs> that's right. fattening right. and unhealthy. Absolutely. And there are no immediate or direct consequences right. for abandoning what your purpose to achieve. You know what for I'm sure. saying? Um, which I think as we kind of explore these verses, I think we're going to, I think we're going to get to the heart of why God and why Moses is so like black and white with some of, of this obey um, and you'll be blessed, disobey and, and these curses, these curses will happen. So, mm -hmm. um, so we, we're at about 15 minutes in and we've got one verse, <laughs> one verse done. So we're going to get moving here. So, all right, picking up in verse two, remember today that your children are not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord, your God, his, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought taste or lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your, eye, your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done. So Moses here is setting up this, this uh, picture. He's reminding them of the judgment, the, the mighty hand, the majesty, the, sh the outstretched arm uh, of God against the Egyptians. But uh, 
also in this passage, he's reminding them of something he did to the, the tribe of, uh, of Levi, um, a, a right. judgment that came against them. And so we, we see this language of God's might and power and judgment working both to save, but also to judge the Israelites. Yeah, um, this is a, a fascinating, even the way he words it, where he's telling them, he says, guys, this isn't a future generation. You know, he words it more often than not. We'd probably word it like this isn't your parents who saw this. It's you who saw it. Mm-hmm. He says it's it's not your children. I mean, he's saying you guys experienced this like you saw this firsthand what God did. And you're right. He's talking about both the Egyptians. So people who were not in a relationship with God and then also those who were this this group that rebelled. And so right. I'll give a little bit of background on that just so that the audience understands what he's talking about. Obviously, the Egyptian side of it was God first sent the 10 plagues and then set them free. So in those plagues, there was all types of destruction that took place, ultimately ending with the the killing of the firstborn of every home, man, woman, and beast, uh, for those who didn't put the blood of the lamb on the door. But then when the Egyptian army came after them, God opened the Red Sea and destroyed them. And so that's what he's mentioning. But then there was this other story with Dathan and uh, Abiram, where they really rebelled against Moses, and as a result of that, God destroyed them and their entire families, everyone that they uh, were connected to, as a warning to everyone else. And it really is a is a sobering story. And what I wrote in my Bible before I even did this study for this podcast, I had it in the margin because I, I highlight stuff and I, I take notes in it. And I said, you know, one of the, the things that happens in our world, in our lives, is you'll hear people talk about their bad luck. You know, something doesn't go well and they'll go, man, I got the worst luck. I think what people need to do is take a step back and realize sometimes what we call bad luck is actually the discipline of God, Mm. that God Mm. will resist. Now, obviously on the level of God opening up the ground and swallowing <laughs> us up or parting a sea. And, sure. you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Right. But but we'll see as we go on this concept of discipline, this concept of blessing and cursing that happens all throughout chapter 11. What God is trying to get them to understand is we have to have a, a healthy fear, a holy reverence of God where we pause and look at in our lives what's not going well and ask the difficult question. Is this not going well because I have disobeyed God? Is there a, a command, a covenant that I've made with God that I'm dishonoring? And if it's things in result of that is not going well, then I need to look at that as discipline so that I will turn back to God. And that's the heart of Moses is don't be ignorant. You know, be reflective and evaluate what's working and what's not, because it could be God's hand that's doing that. Sure. Now, now. Obviously, I think most of us would say, like, when we look at this story with the Egyptians, and, and I, we've kind of been using this word interchangeably, we, we would look at the Egyptians and what God did and, and call that judgment. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the Israelites and what, they, and what God did to them, and we would call that discipline. And they both look very similar in that there was a, a consequence for, um, for the thing that they did. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between discipline and judgment? Um, or the same thing, where do you think that kind of falls when we think about that in our lives? Yeah, I think if, if you take that question and look at it from a massive macro perspective, so if you don't think about the isolated incidents of the Egyptians and the Levites, if you think about the judgment of God holistically over the entire arch of humanity, I think it begins to look the same. So for instance, with God punishing the Egyptians, what he's doing 
is creating, is making a new world where those people are no longer going to have kids who are going to do the same thing, who are going to do the same thing, really could be considered an act of grace at that point to say like, wow, this is God preventing the Israelites from continued, you know, persecution, whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. So whether it's judgment, punishment, it all starts to look similar when you start to go farther out of like God is doing the things he needs to do to keep his covenant true, to keep his promise true. Now there's so much nuance in that. Obviously, specifically when you talk about the chosen people, that's where discipline feels a little bit more less punitive and more like I need you to do the things I need you to do to become the people I've asked you to become versus like, I need you to not exist, right? I'm going to get rid of this, this people group. So this group can thrive. But I just think when the overarching theme of the entire gospel, what Jesus would one day do, I think they start to look similar. Although in the meantime, in the, in the small, they look very different. Sure. Yeah. I, I think how we respond to it determines the full extent of it. If it's discipline or judgment. Sure. Wow. If we, so God is going to respond to our sin in a certain way. If we don't change at all, then all we have received is the judgment of God. Hmm. When that judgment calls us back into righteousness and we respond, we can view it as discipline because, you know, even what it says in Hebrews, God, he's a father. He disciplines those he loves. Mm -hmm. So God, I mean, to the Egyptians, they could have turned. And we know that because of how God has treated all people groups. So whether it be Jonah to the Assyrians, um, how he treated Nebuchadnezzar as the Babylonians, uh, he's, you know, sent Daniel to be a, a voice to them. All throughout, I mean, Joseph was a voice to the Egyptians initially, Mm -hmm. uh, a person of righteousness. If they would have responded, God has never refused a nation. So they actually Mm -hmm. had an opportunity through the plagues. Ten chances. Ten chances, right? And people will will quote the scripture and say that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But he did that because Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. Pharaoh was already made a choice. He was not going to serve God. He was worshiping other gods. So in response to that, all they experienced was the judgment of God. And so that, again, a sobering reality for us is if you don't, if you don't recognize the, the judgment of God in your life, it simply stays judgment. Hmm. If you recognize what it is and allow it to be something that changes your heart and your behavior, then it becomes the discipline of God that has a redemptive purpose to, to mold you into something else. You know, even like Hebrews 12 says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all the things that, that hinder us. It's this idea of allowing that discipline the, of God to form us into the people he wants us to be for the purpose. Absolutely. So on to verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, which you have come, or from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in, as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year until its end, or to its end. Now, it seems like Moses makes a transition. He says, remember that these judgments, remember that this thing happens. But what I think is unique, and, and one part of the story from, um, from the I know it as the, the, the Korah, Korahite rebellion, or the Korah's rebellion, but Dathan and Abram, their judgment was because... They came to Moses and they said to Moses, you took us from the land of milk and honey and took us to a wilderness 
to die. Mm-hmm. So they charged Moses and they charged God with removing them from a place of blessing. A pl- and, and let's just be real, they were slaves. So <laughs> right, they, they, they were a little confused right. on that, but they went from a place of blessing to a, a place of, of judgment where they would say the wilderness was was the place that God brought them to kill them there. Mm-hmm. And so that was the charge that, that Korah and, um, and uh, Eliab and Abiram and Dathan, they all brought to Moses why God judged them. Right. So now we have Moses here going, no, the land in which you're going to is the land of milk and honey. Yeah. So let's let's just talk about that story for a second because I think if there's ever a story that illustrates what I was saying earlier that we don't understand delayed gratification, it would be that that because they were going to have a a season as they called it in the wilderness, they looked back on slavery with fondness. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. th- that's crazy, right? I mean, like they were an oppressed people. They they worked to to make the Egyptians happier. They were slaves, had no freedom. They couldn't leave, obviously, because they when they did leave, they brought the army to, to bring them back. But because there was that season of discomfort, which happens in our lives, as God calls us from unholiness into holiness, there is a process of change that requires faith. They then longed for something that was awful. Uh, right. And so, and the story is bizarre. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I have my own theory about this story. Uh, so Moses, they complain with Moses, and God says, I'm going to wipe them out. But my whole theory about this is, if when you read it in Numbers, uh, a couple of chapters prior to that, actually Miriam and Aaron re- basically rebel against Moses too. Right. He takes a wife they didn't like. And so uh, Moses is like, well, hey, if God can speak to you, like let's, let's just ask God. God's presence descends. When his presence lifts, Miriam has leprosy. Right. And, yes. uh, and so Moses is like, oh, man, you know, kind of dropped the mic moment, though. Like, I told you, <laughs> you know. But then God heal. he prays, God heals her. They just, she just has to be outside the camp for like eight days. I think the same thing he thought was going to happen. This group rebels against him, and he goes, all right, well, let's all just take it to God. And I think in his mind, he probably thought, you're all about to get leprosy. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And then God speaks to him and goes, no, I'm going to actually open the ground up and swallow them and everything. And Moses is like, no, 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 wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait. no, 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 no. But I think it just shows, you know, the, again, the seriousness. God yeah, was right. illustrating for the people uh, a very serious thing here. You know, like, don't go against the anointed of God. Don't go against God's plan. Um, but yeah, I think for us, we, we need to even recognize like what this says in the, the verse you just read, where he says to him, therefore, observe all the commands. Uh, my translation that I have uh, says, keep the whole commandment. But it's that idea of like all the commands. And, and this is the tension I think we should feel in our hearts is this illogical perspective that we have at times where we pick and choose what we're going to obey as mm. if right. our selective obedience is going to bring a higher quality of existence to ourselves. Right. So, so what Moses is saying to them, and this is the, the part of these verses, is in Egypt, this place that you long to go back for, you were the caretakers for the Egyptians. You, you get what I'm saying? Like he's yeah. like, you were the slave labor. Right. You right. guys were having to work, and if droughts hit and stuff, like that was out of your, your hands. In this new land that you're going to, God is the caretaker. God is serving you in generosity and love and supernaturally. He's going to provide for you rain when you need rain, and he's going to take care of your crops, and it's going to be better. But in the process between what once was and what will be, there's a season of faith, and that's what they were struggling with. So that's what Moses is reminding them of. Yeah, and and to me, when I read this, I look back on it, and I think, wow, it feels so obvious. Like, how is it that God's obviously done 
so much. He's delivered you for much. And to look back fondly into slavery feels like, what are you doing? How could you guys make that same mistake? But I think it's worth your time to take a second and apply that same logic to your own life. Like this is why generational brokenness exists. People feel comfortable with what they know, even to the point that the better thing, the more holy thing, the thing that's going to bring more prosperity, more justice, fill in the blank with whatever thing is absent of your life is so intimidating, so terrifying because it's unknown. So it looks silly looking at them thinking like, guys, who looks back fondly at slavery? What are you talking about? But I think about my own life and how many times I find comfort in my own version of slavery. Like, yep, I grew up with this really unhealthy view on marriage, or I grew up with this unhealthy view on spirituality. Right. And then I want to continue right. to apply it because it feels safe and comfortable. And then I read this and I think like, oh, I'm this, I'm doing the same thing. It looks different. Might not be as obvious, but I don't want to lie to myself. I'm also participating in, in being envious of slavery, of brokenness, because it feels safer. It's what I know. So so the, the act of coming out of what is enslaving to us that, that we would say is more comfortable is difficult because we have to walk through a wilderness essentially to, right. to get to the healthy side. I know there's things in my life that I, I continually look at and I go, God, why do I still struggle with this? Realizing that I don't even know what it looks like. Like, yeah. what does it look like on the other side of freedom? That's what does it key. look like? Right. Um, and it's, I, it's the vulnerability of the wilderness, right? What was known slavery is comfortable. And honestly, when they got to the promised land, that would be comfortable too. Right. It's the unknown, the vulnerability of the unknown. And that's what Michael's talking about. You know, we had unhealthy things in our lives, but we don't know differently. So it's just comfortable. And I know for me, like marriage has been one of the greatest gifts to expose to me the things I thought were okay. Right. You know, like my family, every time I share this, my mom gets super frustrated. (laughs) She's like, Matthew, you portrayed us like we were animals or something. Um, But three boys, all within three years of each other, we were super aggressive in our communication. But that's all I ever knew. I loved mm-hmm. it. I like aggressive communication. I, I honestly, I, when people can push back on me, I, I find that energizing stuff. Mary, not so much. And I had to come to the place where I was like, okay, I, I see it now. Yeah. What, what It's comfortable to me, but it's unhealthy. And, and yeah, so it's just that same process that we have to go through in every unhealthy area of our life. That's also a really difficult and hard process. So one thing that I've realized in my life is when you do have to go through the wilderness to get to the better thing, it's kind of ugly and it exposes a lot of ugliness. So sure. marriage is like, you know, talk about the best example, marry somebody who's really comfortable telling you, Hey, when you said that thing, it really hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah, right. You're, you're <laughs> not really good at this. Yeah, thing. Exactly. You're, you're not very good at things that. that you're get, if you want to know what you're not great at, if you're doing it right, marriage should serve that purpose to show you. And that does feel like wilderness at times because yeah. you're not yet in the better. You're still trying to get away from this and it's scary and it's uncomfortable deeply, you know, it brings a lot of humility, but it also is complicated and hard. And that's one of the reasons why people run back. Like, this is safer. I'm yeah. default to this. You know, I've got a family member, um, something that they, that they say, and it always kind of, you know, bums me out is that like, they'll say something crude or mean. And they'll just like, well, I'm from Cleveland. This is just how we talk. Right. It's like, what? That's not, <laughs> you can't just say whatever you want and blame it on a region. Like, that's not how that works. Right. But it's safe. It's like, well, that's just how people talk there. I don't want to grow because yeah. that's scary and it hurts yeah. and it makes me embarrassed and it makes me have to wrestle with my sin. And that's not a fun process for anybody. So moving on to verse 13, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and, and we should recognize that from Deuteronomy 6 mm-hmm. with the Shema, He's repeating it again here, and he goes on, Then I will send rain on your land and in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn 
way and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. So we get really kind of two competing ideas here. We get what it looks like to, um, to follow in obedience and a warning of, of once God does bless this obedience, mm-hmm. um, to be careful that you don't forget. And, and so right. two different things here. First, thinking about um, what we just talked about and having to go through a wilderness, Moses is now giving them a vision for why obedience is important, right. mm-hmm. because God is going to bless them. Right. If they love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul, blessing will come. Yeah, and, and the, the most important word in that is if. It, you know, it's actually in the language. It is a conditional clause. You know, one of the things, I joke about this, I think we all can be tempted to get our little pet peeve things that we harp on. <laughs> For me, it's when people take certain scriptures and they take them out of context. And I've even done a series on this at one point uh, called Nuh-uh, uh, where we were looking at these scriptures people take out of context. Like, so one of them is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans right. to prosper you. People will say, this is my favorite scripture. I love this scripture. Right. As if that is a blanketed statement for all people yeah, for in all areas and God's promises, I'm going to bless you. What they oftentimes fail to recognize, even in that passage in Jeremiah 29, 11, if you go just a few verses after that, God promises destruction on that group because that group is in rebellion. Going back to Deuteronomy, it is a conditional clause. If you will do these things, if you will mm-hmm. love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, then God will bless. And so often people want the blessing. They just don't want the relationship. They don't want, and really that's the heart of the prodigal son story is the son says, you know, dad, can I have all the blessings of being your son? Can I have my inheritance? I just don't want to honor you. I don't want to follow your rules. I don't want to be in your home. I want to go do what I want to do. Right. That son, when he stepped out of that relationship, discovered the blessings weren't really blessings. Like it eventually faded, led him into all types of behavior. When he came back in repentance, what he discovered was the true blessing was being in relationship with the Father. Mm. Same concept in Deuteronomy 11, conditional clause. If if you will love God, obeying Him in all areas of your life, then you will receive the blessing. If you don't, you won't. Right. And, and that's a, a sobering thing. But I think, again, we just have to look at our lives. And like going back to the previous verses, obeying the whole command. As God challenges mm-hmm. us, it's our responsibility to respond in obedience to whatever it is he challenges us with. So the second part of this uh, section of scripture is the idea of once once we experience blessing, once we it, say we're walking in seasons of that, the temptation, he's really addressing the temptation to, um, to become complacent in it, yeah. mm-hmm. to, to get comfortable with the fact that God blesses us and and so Moses has given us a warning here, given these people a warning, and 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 us through the scripture of of complacency and how it can also be kind of damaging in that relationship with God. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard a football coach say recently something that I just can't get out of my head. He's talking about another football coach, and he said some people are standing on third and they think they hit a triple, but the reality is they're standing on the backs of something that someone else did, right? E- easy, Michael. That, uh, <laughs> I, won't say, I won't say what coach uh, I just quoted. Uh, I will. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh talking about Ohio State. We're not going to talk about, talking about <laughs> But that hit me so hard, and when, you, when I read this, that's what I think about, this idea of the Israelites being on third base because God has done much for them and thinking like, well, look how great we are. You know, I don't need to be yeah. thankful. I don't need to continue with the difficult practice 
the arduous but still fulfilling practice of loving God and submitting to him and following his laws because I'm already here. Right. And then all of a sudden you find yourself arrogant. You find yourself complacent. Uh, Moses would say, well, you start looking to other gods, but you forget how you got here in the first place. And even going back, you know, you know what, what we mentioned earlier, the reason why Moses is telling this, it's not even just for this generation. He's like, well, you're going to have to remind every generation after this. Right. It's true yeah. Yeah. or else they will do this. That's how we're built as people. We'll find ourselves on third and looking, oh, look out, look what we did. And then you get complacent and you get lazy and you start to worship everything else except for the God who brought you to third base to begin with. And, and if you're wondering, I love what Michael just brought up. If you're wondering, have I grown complacent? Here's a question I pose to you. How often are you giving credit to God for the blessings of your life? Right. So are you telling your kids, like, I'm not saying this to lift myself up, but every single time we pray over a meal, we're recognizing, God, we have this meal because of you. Mary and I are so purposed that when we have a vacation, when we uh, even go have a fun family night, we go see a movie, we'll say to the kids, we're blessed because God has blessed us. Mm -hmm. Like we're able to do these fun things because God has been so generous and faithful to us. But I think a, a good uh, revealer of our hearts is when we aren't consistently awed by the blessing of God so that it makes its way into our conversation. So if you're talking to a coworker, a family member, where you're just not naturally going, man, I'm so thankful God did that. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, like absolutely. And, and so it exposes our heart. And I think that's what, as Moses will lead into saying, now make sure you take these things and teach them to your children. That's what he's saying. Like, if you don't, it's because you've grown complacent. And, and there's other parts in Deuteronomy where he says, here's the fear that you'll start to say, look at what my hands have done. Mm. My hands have made wealth. My hands have gained you know, prosperity, not realizing it's God who gave you the ability to gain wealth. Mm. Because that's always the tendency is, God gives you blessing. At first, you're like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Look at me. Look what yeah. I did. Wow. Because we are the instrument that he's doing it through. And so, and I'll tell you what, we all can attest to this as pastors. We could fall into that trap. Absolutely. If our church, which has been blessed by God and by, if you want to use terms, successful, we could look at it and go, look at what we did yeah. with our leadership, with our ability. And so we have to be purposed always to take a step back and go, it's God's faithfulness through us. We're his instrument that he's using, and mm -hmm. we're, we're honored to be a part of that. But we're not. let's not get this twisted. It is God, God alone who does it. And I think it's such a difficult thing for us because— uh, so my family and I, we built a house back in 2017, 2018. Just to be clear, when Chris says they built a house, Chris literally means he built a house. <laughs> he built a house. Like he so, labored and did the work. So, so and not by myself. And, because and, and, I just did an addition on my house. I didn't lift up a hammer. <laughs> so like there's a little bit different in that phraseology. <laughs> so, so right. I had a, I had a, a good hand in what was happening. So, and, and so I had so hard to be humble, right? Now. I had help from a lot of different friends, but, but this is, but this is the lesson before us, isn't it? So I get this opportunity to have my hand in, in building our house. I get this opportunity to, I mean, I did the plumbing there. I helped put the floors in. I like, I helped paint. And so I had my hand in, 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 and the response and what I felt was the responsibility of, of helping with that process. But at the same time, if God would have not moved in the council's eyes, I'd have never had the ability or the, the, mm -hmm. the okay to build. If right. God would not have moved to stir my friend's hearts to help me, mm -hmm. I would have never been there. I, if right. God would not have provided um, the perfect opportunity at the perfect time for, for all of this to fall into place before. Yeah. Um, so y y all of these things happen because God is faithful and God is generous right. to my family. 
The temptation, though, at times is to look back on all the parts I played in it mm-hmm. and go, well, well, I did I did that. Right. Like, I, I did that. I did. And, yeah. yeah. And so I think it, it plays out in, um, I think it plays out in the, our spiritual lives too. There, there are, there is responsibility. There is mm-hmm. conditional clause. We do have things to do in our lives that God is going to call us to. And, and I think it really is a temptation to go, I, I responded faithfully. I, mm-hmm. I was obedient. Yeah. I did a good job here. Look at what my hands did. Right. And I yeah. think, you know, what Moses is talking about is one day in the promised land feeling this way of being able to, when your gen- generations after are successful, taking credit for that. But I also think this applies taking a step back to the wilderness season as well. Like if Aaron and Mir, if they would have had that mentality of when things got really, when they were angry and confused of like, wow, you led us from the promised land into the desert. What's your problem? When really it's the, it's the reverse if they would have taken a moment to think and be grateful of all that God had done, it's really hard to be arrogant. It's yeah. really hard to be, uh, to feel like God's not been um, generous to you, that he's not well, that he's not taking care of you, that he's not had this whole plan from the very beginning. So whether you're in that moment and the arrogance of like, look what I've done, or whether you're in the wilderness thinking like, why am I not there yet? God, why have you not brought me to everything? Both of those seasons are more palatable in my experience when I'm entering into them with gratitude. Absolutely. Like God, thank you for bringing me here. Thank mm-hmm. you for giving me the resources mm-hmm. necessary. Awesome. All right, let's move on. Verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you, are care- if you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. So again, we have this, if you, if you obey these things, if you, mm-hmm. if you are walk in obedience, if you are purposed to, to keep these statutes and to keep them in front of you, God promises to take care of whatever it is that you're, you're going to walk into. Yeah, I mean, he literally says wherever your foot places itself right and and in this there's this dynamic where he tells them to teach this to your children in the process of that what you're doing is reminding yourself while you teach your children so when when there's success in your life to say to your kids this is because of god you're reminding yourself while teaching them and and this is what i wrote in my notes about these verses is again highlighting the if part of it the conditional clause but i wrote if you love your kids this is how you love your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is the part that so breaks my heart in modern day culture is we have defined a love of children that's so anti, anti this example, unbiblical. Uh, right. So what I mean, like in our culture, if you love your kids, what does it look like? Well, in our culture, it's buying them stuff. It's allowing them to have experiences. It's allowing them to pursue whatever they want, sports and extracurricular activities. And I mean, I'll just say this in the most blunt way possible. I'm seeing a generation and have been, but I'm seeing a generation fall away from God because of their parents, their parents Mm -hmm. not making God a priority. 
And that's what naturally happens when you're not fully dependent upon God. And in these verses, he's saying, this has to be the rhythm of your home, that you believe that God is your provider, that God's your defender, and you operate that way and you have spiritual conversations based on that. You parent your kids based on the commands and statutes of God, not of our culture. And one of the things that I think is a very unfair indictment of the church, not, when I say the church, I don't mean the tree church, I mean the church as a whole. Right. One of the unfair uh, indictments that I've seen, I've seen books written about this, I've seen people engage it, is they say somehow the church has failed and that's why teenagers aren't transitioning into faith as they go into college. And Michael's probably read a ton on this too. Like everyone says, oh, the church has failed. I'm sorry, the church has not failed. Right. The right. church, if you go to church every single week as a family, and your kids engage in children's ministry or youth ministry, that means, again, if you went every single week for the entire year, the church would have your kids for like 75 hours, and that's if you went 100% of the time, and you have that in one week with your kids, and it's just it's the responsibility of the parents to model faith. And what we're seeing now is the parents aren't modeling that, not making church a priority to themselves or others, not making biblical behavior a priority. And so what it's clearly teaching their children is God's not really, he, he's not a necessity. Right. He's an option. And mm -hmm. that's what we're going back to before. It's, it's illogical to pick and choose the commands of God. But when you model that for your kids, it's clearly telling them that message. God's, we're not dependent upon God. Right. I, I mean, I, I grew up in the 90s, so I have a kind of firsthand experience with, with what I would call a failed parenting strategy. Not necessarily for my parents, just more what was the cultural norm at the time. And what was culturally normative at the time was telling kids you can do anything. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can do anything you set your mind to. You want to be a baseball player, you can be a baseball. You can do anything. I remember my mom, and her, she never did it out of any, like, she just did it out of pure love in her heart. But she was so encouraging. You want to be the president, you can be the president. You want to be in the NBA, you can be in the NBA, which, no. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I was never built to be in the NBA. But I grew up in a world where that was often taught to kids that if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, you can accomplish anything that you want to. And what Moses is telling them to tell their kids is something completely different. If you submit to God, you can accomplish what God has called you to do. Yeah, That is far more interesting and far more closer to the to how God made us and the function and the way that he made us than, well, I can do whatever I want if I try hard enough. Right. That's fine, but the problem is that's not always true. I will come to places where I think, you know, I actually wasn't enough for that. I couldn't, didn't matter how hard I tried, I'll never be more than five, six. I'll never be <laughs> an NBA player, you know? And yeah. then all of a sudden, then, then the harsh reality of growing up from that failed parenting strategy is now I'm an adult and then I, I, I you know, experienced failure for the first time and I felt ill-equipped. Like I was told if I tried hard enough, I wouldn't fail. And now I'm failing. What does that mean? We're mm -hmm. going back. If, if we would have taught kids and if we teach kids what Moses said to have like, it's not about you and your ability. If you submit to God, wherever you step your foot, there'd be no one who could stand against you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is the far more powerful thing to teach kids. And I think that's why it's hitting that so heavy in this moment. And right. I think, oh, go ahead. I was, real quick. I, I think, you know, when we try to plan out our lives, there's so much unknown in that. That it is, so to tell a kid you can become whatever you want is making the assumption they know what's best for themselves. And yeah. I think we even celebrate that as a culture that you need to find you. So we talk about this a lot on Sundays, like you do you, like your truth, you find your truth. Mm -hmm. But I also think we tell them, you know yourself the best, so you right. know what's best for you. Right. And I think history has shown that's not true. I could name, I could probably right now without even trying, name 10 people that I know who have college degrees that they don't use 
You know, right, like right. both my brothers, uh, they're both successful in their lives, but they don't, not in their degrees. We have pastors on staff who are like- Pastors on staff, yeah. my wife. Um, she was a teacher by trade until we started having kids, but now she's, you know, very effective in ministry. But like, another reason I say that is not to knock any of them, sure. but right. to expect an 18 year old to know what's best for you right now. Now go get a degree, and I'm not anti-education, but go get a degree. What we see is that that oftentimes doesn't work out. The promise of this, like Michael said it, is so much better. Right. That right. if you will follow God, then God will direct your path. God will bless your path. That's the greatest gift you could give your children. Amen. So it sounds, it's like you said about your mom, it sounds loving to go, yeah, absolutely. like you figure yourself out and you run after your dreams. But when those dreams turn out to be a bust, that kid is shattered. Yeah. But when you say, hey, follow God, you can trust him. He is trustworthy. He's going to guide your path. He's going to bless you. They do it, experience it, and God really is faithful. And then they find fulfillment in that. That's a gift. You've given your child the greatest gift. That's how you love them. Absolutely. And, and what's, what's tricky in this, and Moses recognizes this, is the amount of effort it takes to parent this way, the amount oh, of effort sure, it right. takes to live this way. I mean, he tells them, like, bind it on your head, bind it on your hand, <laughs> sure. put it on your doorpost. Why? Because he knows that it's going to take right. a lot of purposed effort to to accomplish this because everything else and everything works against it. I should, we yeah, should say Chris, that Yeah, and you way. and I live this in a vivid way right now. We have teenage children. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, you have high emotional little girls. I got crazy little babies. It's yeah. a little bit different. <laughs> But with our kids, when they're having rational conversations with us, with tears in their eyes, explaining that all their friends are doing it. Right. Because the reason why I know you're struggling with this is because we text each other back and forth. It's like you and Cassie, me and Mary, are saying, how are you guys handling this? What's your guys' standard on this? Because we know we're both wrestling with it. It is tough. It is tough to stand in opposition to the world, to not give your kids the same privileges that all their friends have. Um, my kids have asked for things like TVs in their rooms. And we're like, nope, that's a hard no. They've asked for smartphones, and and we were really delayed in that. And then when they did get them, the, the greatest amount of restrictions possible. They don't have access to the Internet, and they don't give them access to social media. Obviously, in today's world, I, I'm basically Amish, you know, in my kids' yeah, eyes. You right. know, like, Dad, it's so weird. But to explain to them, guys, I'm doing this because of faith that I'm training you up. You're going to be frustrated, but I'm just needing you to know there's a redemptive reasoning behind this. Sure. It is tough to parent that way. I, I have shed tears with my kids. That's not an exaggeration. I've shed tears with my kid explaining to that where they are through tears saying, I know you're right, Dad. I know you love me, but it still hurts. And I'm like, absolutely. And, and that's yeah. not a conversation I once had. That's a conversation that I consistently have with my kids. And I have two younger ones that are still coming up into that. So I know like this battle that I've had with my older ones I'm going to have again for the next handful of years. It's tough. It's tough to parent that way. Absolutely. But in faith, we're believing that God's going to bless it. Mm. Absolutely. So let's continue on, and we're going to wrap the chapter up here with this next section of Scripture, and, and we'll talk about it real quick here. Verse 26, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. And this is really the culmination of the verse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today— the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today to, by following other gods, which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, westward toward the setting sun, near the great trees 
of Moreh in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Well, this is one of my, my favorite concepts. Now, I will admit, in the middle of this, there was a, a part of it that I was like, I have no idea what Moses is talking about here, so I had to look he it up. He gets awfully specific about what they're supposed to do about like Those saying the blessings and curses yeah. on different mountains. So, it's a little weird. Yeah, I'll cover that in a second. But then um, I've already, I know I've already done this in, in a previous Bible study in Deuteronomy, but the concept of blessing and curse is one that I, I absolutely love. It, it is a foundational principle in my understanding of my relationship with God. And the reason why I say that is blessing, the, the definition that I came up with is this, the simplest way I could understand in order to teach it, is blessing is God's supernatural favor. Curse is God's supernatural resistance. But both of them are done for the exact same purpose. And I always teach the same thing. If you are walking in the right direction, God supernaturally gives you favor because he wants you to continue to walk in that direction. If you're walking in the wrong direction, he supernaturally resists you, he curses you, so that you will turn and walk in the right direction. The purpose of blessing and curse is to get you to walk in the right direction. Amen. And so this is God's promise to them. He's like, I'm setting before you the choice. Like, it, don't, like again, it, there's nothing confusing about this. I'm setting before you. You make the choice. People need to understand that. If your life is not one of blessing, and I'm not erring on the side of the extreme prosperity gospel that right. what blessing means is you're going to be rich and you're never going to have sickness. I believe that there is still the fall, fall, fall in nature of sin and, and we still have problems, but your life should be marked by the blessing of God and in, in some capacity. And so if you look at your life and there's no blessing, I would encourage you to take a step back and seek God and say, God, what am I doing wrong? What am I mm -hmm. doing that's removed that blessing and start to do that and God's promise, and he is a God of his word, is that he is going to bless you. Now, the middle of it, what I had to look up is there's literally two new mountains that God wanted to reestablish. So on the first time God's presence ascended was Mount Sinai. But now as they go into the promised land, he wanted them to go back to those mountains. One of them was the mountain that Abraham first made a sacrifice on right. when God called him and told him, this land is going to be for your future descendants. So what Moses is saying, it's really a cool imagery. That's He's awesome. like, you're going to go back into this land that I promised to Abraham 400, at this point, probably 470 plus years ago. So God's saying, like, how cool of a moment. I knew then what you guys are going to experience. You're going to go in. And he said, literally, you're going to get, and he tells him, it's like in... Um, it's in Deuteronomy 27, so I had to look it up. It's later on. But he says, this group of people, you're going to this mountain, and you're going to shout. You're going to shout the blessings. You're going to go, this other group, you're going to this mountain. You're going to shout the curses. And it's going to be like this song we're going to sing to each other. Michael, can you write a song about blessings <laughs> and curses? But they're going to say it, and it's just figurative in this place on these mountains. Like, we're recognizing this is what's going to happen. And I love it because it's like the high accountability, right? right. You're going to say these out loud. You're going to hear them. You're going to know them. So it's not going to be a mystery, but again, the choice is yours. Yeah. And, and what's amazing to me about all of that is, is, so Moses is calling them to this and he's telling them, he's saying, I'm setting before you today this choice. If you go some 10, 15, 20 years later, Joshua makes the same call to him. 100%, he, yeah. he says, choose this day who you will serve. Yeah. And, and he's brought the nation 
into the land and, and they're experiencing some of these promises that Moses has said. And now, mm-hmm. now he's laying before me. He's, he's saying, the choice is still yours. Will you obey the God who did all of these things for you? Or will you choose to, to worship the, the idols and the gods, mm-hmm. um, as Moses words it, that, that you do not know? Right. And so the, the choice lays before you. Yeah, and what's, what's encouraging is that that first generation that went into the promised land, they did serve God. Mm-hmm. What's sad is the next generation did not. So in that, where they failed was in probably in their parenting of not you know, passing these principles on. But that first group went in with a purposed heart, and they received the blessing of God. They were mm-hmm. able to take the promised land. And I, I want to encourage people, you want to grow in your faith, take faith steps. Take right. faith steps of obedience, allow God to bless you, and it will become so real to you. Um, it, nothing is easy. So like many of us, we, we work out together. When we first started working out, it was so painful. It, there was nothing enjoyable about it. Right. We have crossed over to a point now where, and again, this is like, you know, 15, 16 of us every morning work out together on staff. When we work out now, it's still painful, but we understand the enjoyment of it. We understand the benefit of it, but there's that process. So I right. want to encourage people, you make the choice, but when you feel vulnerable, when you feel discomfort, when it, things go crazy, that's not a time where you should stop. That's a time where you should buckle down, pray, seek God, and move forward so that you can get to that promised land that he has for you. Yeah, and I want to talk about like a quick point of strategy of how to even accomplish this. Like if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my life to see if I have the blessing of God on it and it doesn't seem like I do. What is that? Where do I start? Like, where do I begin? And there's something, you know, that I heard Matthew talk about probably years ago now, but I've heard him reference it over time is that if you don't know if you're hearing from God, if you don't know if he's convicting, you don't know what that looks like, go back in time and ask yourself, when did I stop listening? What's mm-hmm. that thing that God asked me to do that I didn't do and start there? Yeah, the last thing God asked you to do that you said no to, do it. Go and do that, and I think you'll see Absolutely. it'll jumpstart it. Yeah, I, I, I can promise you, if you say yes to that, you'll hear the next thing. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you can look at it over time and say, wow, now my life does look different. Now I feel like it does have the marking of, of the blessing of God. And like Pastor Matthew said, it doesn't mean necessarily this crazy prosperity of, look, now I'm a millionaire and now I'm, like my life is really easy. No, but what it does mean is you're closer to God and you have spiritual fruit in your life again. And all of a sudden you feel happy and more content. You feel like your marriage is getting better, not worse. And you have the tools and resources available and all that. And if, if you're confused on where to start, you just have to start saying yes. The mm-hmm. easiest way to do that is, is, but what did he ask you to do? Go do that thing. Yeah. And like I said, I promise I've seen it time and time again in my life. If you say yes to that thing, he'll give you the next thing too. Yeah, and just to close out with with what you what you already previously said, Matthew, the the blessing because it, it's not the health, wealth, and prosperity thing where it's a formula to get what you want. It is a call to walk in a healthy and a life giving relationship with God. One hundred percent. And and that is the blessing that we get when we right. walk in obedience. So. Uh, guys, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your insights into these passage uh, passages, and and I'm I'm really excited for what God has for this Bible study, and I, I know it's going to help people um, as they process through uh, what they read through today in Deuteronomy. Thanks again. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I really hope that you enjoyed this style of of learning, this style of presenting the content here for the Tree Church Bible Study. 
And uh, I know that, that I'm excited about the truths that Pastor Michael and Pastor Matthew uh, talked through today, the, the, the conversations that we talked about, and I'm super grateful for them uh, taking the time to share with us their heart and their insight on uh, today's passage, Deuteronomy 11. I want to let you know that you can find this podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And and now on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, you can rate and review our podcast. So if you're of the mind, if this is helpful to you, if you are using Tree Church Bible Study and it's helping you grow in your understanding of God's Word and it's helping you grow in your faith, we'd love it if you would rate and review and share this podcast with your friends. It will just help get the word out and it will help us better uh, faithfully instruct the word of God to, uh, to, to your friends and family as well. So please take some time and do that today before you leave. And if, and if you uh, are just experiencing this on the app, again, feel free to share it with your friends. There's, really, there's a couple easy buttons that you can press and, and it sends out really quickly. One more time, thank you all so much for joining us today. And we look forward to processing Deuteronomy chapter 12 with you next week.